0: Welcome back to another episode of Artist to Artist presented by Artist Public. As always, I'm Nick, that's Christian. And please remember to give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Now, before we dive in, Christian, what's in the news, man? And this is
1: actually really cool. Um, Vivo, um, one of the leading music companies um, mm-hmm. on YouTube for sure, has recently launched this thing called moods. So it's an ad product that targets users based on their emotions. So this is super cool. Um, It's in collaboration with music data and lyric company music's match. And basically what it does is assigns a mood to each Vivo videos metadata tag. And this enables brands using the advertising platform to target their viewers based on their emotions. Um, for right now, the palette of moods that they offer include fun, heartfelt, impassioned, and, and empowering. And they say that they're gonna be rolling out new moods over the coming months. Um, I think this is that's awesome. Fair. Yeah, this is sweet.
0: That actually goes into a meeting that with a company that I had this past week. Uh, shout out, uh, if you haven't heard of that company, you probably will, it's called Audible Reality. Um, I think I've sent you them. They're, yes. they're a 3D audio company. And they can they allow people to create vibes. And so you can add different vibes to a song and basically take that song and make it different vibes for different moods. And, um, you know, they are completely changing how people listen to music based on moods. And now you're having platforms target based on moods. And moods has been a big thing. I've noticed even with us launching our Sound Store, you know, you can search beats by the mood of that beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a great way that the music industry really has not embraced that they need to because music is a mood. And why are we categorizing music by like a Drake type song when we should be categorizing by like what's the mood of that song? Because how many different moods does Drake have? Um, I love that. I love that. I love that a lot.
1: Yeah, I think it's really cool. And um, for those listening, by the time that this episode has come out, Um, we do have a article on our blog that is going to be talking exactly about this. Um, So be on the lookout for that at blog.artistrepublic.com. Nick, do you want to uh, take it away and introduce our next guest?
0: Can we cut here for a second? Because there is no bio on the document.
1: Did I forget to give him a bio? He might have not given us a bio if that's the case. All right,
0: I'm going off of I'm going off of JakeTruman.com. Okay. Okay. Um, hold on. All right, we're diving in. All right. Yes. So our next guest today is a guy that I met years ago, who's an awesome guy in the music industry. Um, He was a vice president of actually new business development at TuneCore, um, which surprisingly you would think, hey, TuneCore, why are they on Artist Public Podcast? Um, Exactly. We love talking with other people in the music industry, whether they're competitive companies or not. Um, He was a vice president of new business development at TuneCore, um, he has a bunch of experience both in, you know, creating podcasts, creating, um, you know, a bunch of different stuff, managing a bunch of money in sales and marketing and truly an inside and out, both a businessman and also a music businessman. Um, and so with that, you know, let's bring on Jake and, you know, let's see what he brings to the table today. Well, definitely, you know, first off, let me know next time you're on Clubhouse. We got I- no Chrome first
2: off. Yeah, we, we never are on the same time. It's like I always look, and it's always like 30 minutes ago, Nick was like, all right, well, next time. But yeah, absolutely. In fact, there are quite a few times there are, uh, I think they still need to figure out a way to kind of make this happen, but like each people or each person that's on here kind of finds like a special event or like mm-hmm. some type of room that's like a really good impactful room to go to, but there's no one kind of coordinating all of the best things happening yeah. for artists. So it would almost be like if you guys could have like almost like a schedule of like these are the can't miss clubhouse rooms or like even as they're happening. Um, because there's been some Free rooms. That-
0: Put down on the them. blog. It's a good idea. <laughs> it's a great idea. They don't
2: even have like a title to them and you'll just get pulled into it and it'll be like fucking top producers or whatever. All, all of a sudden like having these this great conversation. You'll never find it unless you're like following one of these people because it's like yeah. a closed room. But then like once you're in, you're like, oh,
0: I got to get this guy in. I got to get this guy in. So, yeah. Hell yeah. No, I love that. Well, so yeah. So let's, let's dive in over here. Obviously we'll definitely dive into clubhouse a little bit. We've, we had a conversation about that on another podcast. Uh, I'd love to bring that up again, but you know, kind of start out, you know, tell the people listening, you know, a little bit about yourself, um, you know, your history in the music industry as a business person, everything. Um, and then we'll kind of go off from there.
2: Sure. So uh, Jake Truman, uh, I graduated in Suffolk in 09 um, and actually wanted to, or didn't want to, I was gonna go into uh, the Coast Guard because 2009 there was a recession. I graduated from a private university with no real direction. So I had six figures of student loan debt and that was the best choice. Uh, I come from a military family but I have a a liberal uh, psychology mentor. So I graduated with a psych degree. Uh, And she's like, you can't go, you know, there's two wars going on. I was like, look, I I have no other choice. You know, this is what the current state of the economy is. She's like, give me 24 hours, I'll get you a job interview. Promise me you'll go to it. If you don't like the job, then you can send your OCS papers in or officer officer candidate Mm -hmm. school papers. I was like, all right, what's a day? She comes back the next day and she's like, how would you like to sell candy for a living? And I was like, hmm, tell me more. I'm a recent college grad, candy sounds pretty good. Uh, long story short, her nephew and her son had spent $3 million on the domain name candy.com. And this was in 2009, e-commerce was still kind of a burgeoning new world. Uh, there hadn't been so much consolidation yet. Um, so they ventured off to basically create an online retail wholesale candy site. So I sold anywhere from five to 6,000 different types of candy from 200 different vendors you know, across the U.S., Um, Anyway, I was with them for about five years. I was their NSM and Vendor Coordinations Director. So I helped them get to about $5 million of sales. Left there, went to Staples. Um, At Staples, I was a Process Excellence Manager. So I'm a Lean Six Sigma black belt, which sounds really cool like judo, but it's actually more (laughs) just like a process engineer um, looking for like waste reduction and optimization opportunities. Um, I was with them. At that time, I also started a fintech company called Deb. Um, it was a direct-to-consumer debt collection app. Um, and then from there, as I was building that, I switched over to global sourcing, managed about $100 million of spend for sales and marketing at the corporate level. Um, I got kind of bored doing that. Uh, I, as an individual contributor, I was bringing a million dollars to the bottom line. Um, but it was just kind of like a resume thing. Like, you can't really tout that, hey, I, I put a million dollars on the bottom line with a lot of, you know. Brag it or bragging because at the end of the day, you're managing a hundred million dollars. So like saving 1 million out of a hundred million, like good job, but like, that's not like rocket science. So I wanted to like stretch myself. So I, I asked to, to pick up a, a basically a stretch assignment and that ended up boiling out to the Staples Podcast Studio Network. And that was my brainchild and kind of figuring out how do we kind of maximize the store footprint, bring something new experiential into the store that is actually desired. And long story short on how it works is, you know, you can basically have essentially as the whole thing rolls out. I don't know how COVID's going to you know, impact all of this. I left since then. But um, the plan was having a podcast studio in a staple store, let's say in like one to 200 locations throughout the U.S. And then you guys want to bring in a guest for your next podcast. You book time at your local, their local Staples. And then they basically have a studio grade room to be able to do the interview from with video and all that. So the the coupling to add into that, Staples also has several hundred vendors that you know we work with as obviously a retailer and they're always looking for new ways to advertise. Well, podcasters are always looking for a new way to monetize. So it was a perfect marriage of being able to bring in our vendor network who want to sell to the consumer and our podcasters who are our consumer. Um, so anyway, did that. Um, at that point, I had to make a life choice because my girlfriend got accepted into a grad program in New York Um, one of only a couple programs in the world that does, you know, a focus on transnational crime, which is is super cool. And um, she has this whole uh, new focus on uh, human rights and AI. And so there's a lot to talk about there, but um, Staples, ironically, wouldn't allow me to work remotely. So I had to choose between living between Boston and New York or dropping Staples podcast studio network, which I had just built and go off and do something else. And the, you know, end story was, it just made more sense to leave and kind of pick up and go from there. So at that point, I went over to TuneCore. I spent about a year at TuneCore as their VP of Business Development. Um, and then after about a year, uh, TuneCore, or sorry, Believe, who owns TuneCore, had finished a roll-up of my department. So I was given a severance and at that, actually at that time, I was also exiting my fintech company. So it gave me a nice little cushion. And then from that point forward, I've uh, I've been doing a little bit of consulting, uh, working both in the CPG space, as well as the music tech space. Um, I'm a strategic advisor for Project Music out of Nashville from the Entrepreneurial Center. Great place to, to take consideration for if you're a music tech company. Um, and I'm now, which is currently under wraps, but working on a new music tech project that I would say in maybe the upcoming weeks and months, I'll be able to tell a lot more about. And that's a little bit about me. <coughs>
0: Yeah, that's a lot. Well, I mean, first off, I didn't even know about the Staples Podcasting Studio until like, I think a month ago. Someone mentioned to me, they're like, yeah, Staples has podcasts in their building. I was like, really? I didn't know that. Um, yeah, and it's, it's especially that, was like,
2: co-working too.
0: Yeah, I was like, that's genius. <laughs> um, and that and that's always cool because like that goes into a topic that like we can get in a rabbit hole and we won't even dive into on a music podcast. But That kind of idea of like getting creative with what you have and adapting to the times because you can't just be a store anymore. Um, Which that then now goes into, we can tie that into music. Music industry is changing every single day, Um, Mm -hmm. both from artists, from tech companies, from everything. So, from your experience in music, you know, from a high level in so many different areas, how, what do you think are kind of like the best ways for artists to? be unique in an oversaturated market, just like now Staples has to be unique in that oversaturated Amazon market?
2: You know, I I might be answering this inversely to to the way it was posed, but I think naturally every artist has a uniqueness that they bring to the table, right? Um, Everyone's got a little bit different of a flair. What I've seen, sorry about that, hold on. What I've seen uh, more often than not, as it relates to artists looking to get to the next stage of their career, it's, it's more about following a methodology and a practice. It's the, the day ins and day outs of having a career as an artist that you put in the hard work. And like, I'm sure you've heard it said a thousand times, like the overnight success takes about 10 years Um, It's like it takes a measure of prudence and making sure that you're following through both with your fans from an engagement standpoint, as well as from the creative aspect and the music that you create. So I think a lot of it can be overbearing to artists and where they succeed is that uniqueness that they bring to the table, the the, not problem, but the challenge for them to overcome is, how do I not only have my uniqueness that differentiates me from everybody else, but how do I stick to a schedule or a work schedule, essentially, that allows me to continuously grow my fans and my listener base? You know, thinking of it much like a small business, like your, your listeners are your small business customer. And the more you focus on yourself as a business, the more likely it is that you'll see those logical next steps to take as an artist, because no one's going to go. Well, not no one. very, very few, almost like winning the bucks, are going to go from nobody to Justin Bieber, right? Being found on YouTube. The, the more true reality of it is that if you're actually going to make a career out of this, it's going to be a slow and steady growth over a period of time with a lot of you know, hard work and, and diligence put in to try to get to that point. So I would say like to kind of try to answer your question the way that you posed, it would be making sure that you have the right tools around you um, that maximizes your productivity so that you can allow that uniqueness to shine and you're not spending too much of that time trying to manage the back end as well as the front.
0: Like that, Yeah, I like that. All right, Christian, I, I know I started this podcast out when you normally started out, so I'm going to switch it up and I'm going to pass it over to you.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, Jake, you know, I haven't really talked much, but great to meet you. Um, <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> um, so I, I really like what you said about, you know, how in probably 99% of the cases, most artists career growth is a overtime um, kind of curve. Uh you see that everywhere, you know, most artists, even the people that are famous now started slow and eventually built up to where they're at. Um, you know, and you say the hard thing for a lot of artists is the being able to balance all of the different things that they have to deal with um, as an independent, at least. Uh, and I have always said this, and I'll always say it is I consider the independent artists, the Freelance musicians of the industry, right? Where as a freelancer, you have to take hold of a whole lot of different aspects of your business, um, from the creative to the logistics um, and everything in between. So, my question, based on that very long rant, was um, where, in your opinion, do you see an artist diverging from being the sole member of this? freelance um, career to bringing on a team?
2: So, I mean, every, every artist or every business, if you will, is different as it relates to what they're starting out with. Um, some people making music out of their basement are making it out of a $5.4 million mansion. Some are making it out of a garage of their friend's house because they don't have a space to do it, right? So like yeah. that goes the same with your network and who you become connected to. So I think it really depends on like what stage you're at. And I think a lot of this, you know, to kind of ramble a little bit, a lot of this going back to a business sense is that you can make a lot of educational or analytical decisions based on the metrics of your business. If you're producing, um, $500 of revenue a month, it's not likely just from a logic standpoint that you're going to require a full-time team or even a full-time manager. If you're producing closer to $10,000, $20,000 a month in revenue, there becomes this kind of waterfall uh, of uh, shit that you have to start dealing with as you get more successful. And that means that no matter how successful you are, the amount of time you have in the day is still limited to that 24 hours. Yeah. And so I think a lot of it comes to like understanding where you are as an artist and what you can produce how realistic is it that you know thinking in this like pretend you're a bakery and like you're thinking about bringing on some part-time or full-time staff if you're not producing enough bakery items to afford that person's salary then you're not likely to be in a good position to bring them on something very similar can happen in music now there are a myriad of different kind of revenue models that you can work with with management teams like no fees all we'll take percentages like don't think so much about trying to find a way to make it work so you can have it. Try to make sure that it's worth having first and then decide how to go about it because you can be convinced to get you know, a management team and to give up a good healthy percentage of your work with nothing up front. But the question is, did you really need it to begin with? Just because you can get it doesn't mean that it's necessary. So I think something that will help artists understand like the difference uh, or, or like how to separate Their creative side from their business side is truly understanding it as two different roles. You know, when you're sitting in the studio and you're producing, that's when you're making your content. That's the the secret sauce. But when you're outside of the production studio and you're sitting more as the CEO, you need to take a look at your business as a whole. What are you bringing in? What's going out? And I think taking a more business-like approach to how you view your business will help you understand where you should be looking for additional help or resources.
0: I like that. And going off of that, because I want to ask you this, because if I answer this, this would be very biased, um, which is obviously, I know personally from where we're going with artist Public, you know, mu- the music tech world is so rapidly changing in favor of the artist. And so my question for you is like, from what you've seen from consulting and also, you know, days of TuneCore and stuff like that, you know, which is, you know, a massively massive... Goliath compared to artist public, um, you know where do you see the you know future of an artist going? And like, do you think when they're going to make that jump to getting a manager is going to be much later in their career rather than where you know previously maybe ten years ago it was like that they consistently felt that need. Like, if I don't get my brother's nephews, uncles, sisters, cousins, dog walkers, baby. <laughs> to manage right. me i'm not going to get the resources i need but now that they're you know getting more out there you know do you think that life cycle of when a manager or when an artist is going to create a team is actually going to become later in the game
2: so i think that there's a there's a point in where we are with music tech today where it's still kind of in the beginning stages or i would i would argue maybe even the beginning of the growth stages of music tech um there's still a lot of moonshots out there but there are a lot more um solidified actual businesses that are, are making a go of this um my point in bringing that up is that i think what you're going to see as it relates to management or bringing on a team is going to be less about when you bring them on but um how they're augmented in to your current infrastructure i.e with Artist Republic, you have a certain set of features that come at your disposal just by being on the platform. In the future, that artist that might be using your platform will no longer need that human element for certain aspects of the features that you offer. But if you think about the myriad of different music tech services that are popping up, eventually that artist is going to be drowning in like, where the hell do I even start? Look at all of these different things that are out. And not only are they in different verticals, but there's saturation within the verticals that, you know, make it, you know, point to like almost uh, analysis paralysis. So I think what you'll start to see is more of a shift to a tech-oriented artist management than you do the more manual. Almost like in accounting, you went from the very basic, you know, pen and paper and like, I mean, not abacus, but like antiquated to now you're using QuickBooks, right? Like there is gonna be an evolution, but the accountant and the CPA never went away just how they did their business change because of the technology around it. So I think what you'll continue to see is as tech continues to optimize the work that teams normally did, you'll find the people that were doing that work will now be elevated to a position to be a lot more creative in how they you know, spend their time because they'll have augmented support that basically took care of the menial or, or mundane work um, that they used to have to do in prior years
1: it kind of starts to create um, an automation of sorts. Um, Whereas before, you know, you had to have that manual labor from a person doing it compared to nowadays, where now you have all of these music tech companies that are starting to slowly automate the workflow for you. Um, For example, and this might just be a really rough example off the top of my head, but you know, 20, 30 years ago, you had armies of a who would go out and scout for artists where nowadays you have Spotify and a wakes up, opens his laptop, goes on to Spotify and just starts looking. Um, I, kind of like, like I'm basically, I'm agreeing with you. Um, and I, I, I really Yeah, no, that's, that's a great a analogy. Good insight. <laughs> but yeah. I think, I think what, and what you're seeing is that ARs aren't going away
2: though, right? You, right. As great as data can be, um, there still isn't an AI AR that can replace, you know, an, an AR completely. So what you're going to see is, kind of, and we're seeing it already with AR um, or AR, is that people are starting to use these tools to make their job easier or optimize it not so that it's easier, but just so that they can execute on more. <laughs> um so this is kind of like that whole thing like they took our jobs back in you know south park you know episode we're not going to be replaced by machines or by tech what it's going to do is elevate the industry to operate a lot more effectively and if you think about us like as the music industry as a whole we're, we're pretty small like you know the the billions that we do pales in comparison to the cpg space or like you know just any other industry in general. So we have a lot of growth opportunity. And I think as tech continues to work its way into music, it's going to unlock more revenue rather than cannibalize it. So it doesn't actually matter. However many players in the music tech side come in, I think there's enough opportunity in the space for everybody that anyone can kind of carve out a niche and provide a good service. They just have to make sure that they're staying true to their customer base.
0: And the revenue is a, is a good point because that's something that I talk to a lot with, you know, when we talk to, you know, business partners, investor around, stuff like that, and people are always like, well, what's your market? Or like, how is this market work in the music tech space? Because a lot of people really don't know the music industry inside and out. And what's interesting is, I think, is exactly that. The music industry is tiny in the sense of market cap size, in sense of revenue. You know, you look at healthcare, that is billions and billions of dollars. And the global music industry is, I think, $2 billion. It's like okay very small but in terms of people inside of it it's actually pretty big and what i've talked about a lot is this idea of you know you look at companies like artist Republic and tunecore and BeatStars and all these companies coming out enabling people to make money and then it comes back to that count you know the secondary person of that which is the music middle class mm-hmm. these people that are able to make money from multiple revenue sources that they wouldn't have been able to access before. Because now artists can easily set up a store on Shopify, drop ship from California, get their streaming sent out, get a show booked, you know, do all these little things, monetize somehow through Clubhouse. They can do all this stuff, sell beats through BeatStars while they're making it, doing it over here. Like there's so many things that they can do. And then before they know it, it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm making 20 grand a year on streaming, but I'm making 80 grand on everything else off of my brand and now I'm comfortable. Yep. And then that's then gonna go back in the music industry and just, you know, explode it from the internally. Um, so I didn't really have a question off that, but I did, I did want to go into that because I think, I think that kind of goes off that. But I do have a question, and this actually ironically comes in, uh, ironically off of our Slack channel, um, that one of our uh, team members messaged, that I think you would be a cool person to answer it. Um, we brought it up for our blog. When someone distributes a song independently, whether through any of the independent labels, do you think it is it is better to have the company as the label, so like TuneCore as the label, or have their own name as the label? Which do you think helps the artist more?
2: Well, I mean, if you take even like a, a distro kit example, they give you the choice, right? You can go in under them or you can create your own. I think um, speaking earlier to the uniqueness of artists, I think some want... Uh, the semblance of unity behind a brand—they want that team feel. Others don't want to be anywhere close to it. They want their own thing, 100% in and out, and they prefer that it's X, Y, Z labels than giving any brand equity to anybody else. It's personal disposition. Um, I think it—it it becomes more a question of your particular user base. Um, I, I think there's, you know, to not to go into any, you know, specifics, but. I think comparatively, if you look at one uh, distro partner as more of a family of services where you know the, it goes beyond the distribution aspect of it and it's meant more of like a quasi-label or management team that comes with it, I think there can be an understanding behind the artists as to why that brand would be representative. If you're living in a more transactional relationship with your distro partner and it's really just a cost to do business, And like, and if you look at like JV deals and other situations, even with major labels, they'll work stuff out where distribution might be going through a different channel than it normally does, but it's still being repped by its standard brands or whoever's, you know, heading up the major project. So like, I guess the answer to that is that it depends and it, it's up to the vendors to decide, you know, do you give that access to the customer to make that choice? Um, Or is it something that you, you know, make a position on? I guess the flip side of that is if you, put them under one brand or under the helm of one brand, then you've got to make sure that that brand represents some type of value for them to have it, because otherwise you'll get seen as a leech rather than a value add. And so I think it's important that if you're going to try to co-brand with anybody, um, if somebody's pointing to that co-brand and asking the artist, why are they there? It should be a good story, not because it was contractually obligated.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting because I've seen that with some labels where like some labels and distributions will be like, if you distribute through us, you'll be, you can be, you can use our brand, like you can do it. And then there's others that are like, when you distribute through us, we want you to be your own person. And so it's interesting on like, you know, the artist side of like, you know, artists may sit there and be like, well, what's the difference? And, you know, really it has to come back to like their own value of when, when someone looks up your song who do you want to have the credit behind it? Do you want it to be the distributor? Do you want it to be, yeah, the, the, you know, kind of platform just behind it? Um, so with that though, we're gonna break for a second. We're gonna hit you with a lightning round.
2: Okay, I'm so, ready for
0: it. Couple minutes of just the most random questions in the world. Literally, we just have a list. We just pick the randomest questions off of it and then we hit you with them. Um, okay. So as I pull up my list and stop, wow. That was, I think, the greatest question I've ever landed on. How would you combat or take down Kanye West's ego?
2: Holy shit. Uh, Is that one of those things, like, if it's a T-Rex and you don't move, it will, like, kind of go past you? And, like, Kanye won't know I'm here if I'm just very quiet. I guess the question would be is like, why are you combating his ego? You have to be in a really good spot to be able to, you know, flex on Kanye. You know, Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with the T-Rex answer as far as combat. Just no movement and let the ego go by you and then run for your life. I love that. I I
0: think that is (laughs) the best question I've ever like, just randomly landed on.
1: It's so relevant.
2: That's a dangerous one for for a lot of people. So I I feel like I failed that one quite well.
1: You did, you did. All right. Christian. (laughs) All right. Uh, Okay. Completely off topic. Um, What part of a children's movie completely scarred you as a kid?
2: You know what's crazy? Okay, so I guess Pee-Wee's Big Adventure (laughs) with... Or, or actually, no, when Who Framed Roger Rabbit when uh, Christopher Lloyd is putting the tunes in the ooze or whatever, basically like assassinating them by dropping them in buckets. That was pretty uh, uh, freaky, but kind of side <laughs> to that. Have you guys seen the, the movie, um, All Dogs Go to Heaven? Yes. Yeah. Okay, when was the last time you watched it though? When you were a kid, right? Yeah. yeah. Go back and watch it again. You will be amazed we were allowed to watch that movie as kids it it like from everything from trap human trafficking to gambling to like dr- like everything like everything about it was like not meant for kids and we watched oh, it the other day and we're like oh my god how are we allowed to watch this shit um anyway yeah give it a while even if you're just breezing through it it's totally worth like the the
0: rekindling yeah when i like, have to oh. go back
1: yeah, you know, yeah. A, a, a okay Quick aside from that, I was watching Monsters, Inc. last night with my girlfriend, and the deep meanings in that movie are just so <laughs> intense, like racism and slavery and like all of this stuff in Monsters, Inc. of all movies. Right. It's right. crazy. It's like
0: we, we one night at college, we got completely wasted and watched the Lego movie, and dude, it was the deepest thing I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> I was like, this is so dark. Um, all right, well, speaking of movie topic, another random question I landed on, who would play you if, a, if your life was based on a movie? Like if you're like, yeah, there was a movie based on your life. God,
2: who would play me? it's um, a great question. I've only been told that I look like two people in life um, that are actors. And actually, one's not even an actor. One is a young, look up a young Martin Scorsese. When he did uh, Taxi, look up Martin Scorsese. We're
0: putting a picture next to your face now, the young Martin Scorsese. You should, you
2: should. Uh, And then the other one, unfortunately, was Mr. Bean. So...
0: That's a good one. That would be a good
2: one. So, I don't know, maybe a cross between those two. Um, But yeah, Maybe <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, if he's still at it. I, I would just like to see a completely opposite personality type play, me.
0: I'm, try- I'm still trying to get my girlfriend to watch Johnny English and stuff like that. She's like, no, it's so dumb. I was like, that's a classic. That is hilarious. Right, I can Chris, see why it's a tough sell, though. <laughs> Close us off.
1: All right, last one. Um, if you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: um well. That could be a lot of things. Uh, it's a good question. You know what? Speeding. Because because wow. to be honest, I have been arrested for speeding before. Great. <laughs> So it, it wasn't my fault. Te- I mean, technically it was. But I mean, I got booked doing 80 and a 30. Okay. Um, but I was on a state highway that was marked at 55, right? The guy that was in front of me was doing 50. I didn't know. I was up in Maine in like the the, the sticks, all right. I go out to like pass this dude because he's going under the speed limit. So naturally you hit overdrive and you get into the oncoming lane, and you go fast, right? Because you don't want to do 52 to pass that 50, you know, going on the opposite lane. So I, I had a fast car, I got up to 80 pretty quick. And before I could even come back over, there was a cop at the bottom of the hill that just turned his lights on. And what I didn't realize was, I just happened to pick the one spot on the state highway that went from a 55 down to a 30 because of a, an intersection slash bend, but there was very poor signage. So I was in overdrive passing someone doing 50, which is why I was going so fast. And he hit me for doing 80 and a 30. Luckily I like had to go through like this whole like court thing and like community service and whatnot. And they let everything go. But it was just like, yeah, that would probably be it. In fact, I, I guarantee they would probably call back. Edit that down, though, because that—that was a long explanation. We're just saying speeding,
1: <laughs> speeding.
0: It's also in Maine, too. Like the chances of getting caught in the in like, Maine, I know. Sticks. In the sticks of Maine, like, I, yeah. like yeah,
2: yeah. It was it was luck. Let's put it that way. Not the best yeah. type of luck. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, diving back into the, the the second kind of actually kind of like quarter three quarter four of our podcast we technically did that a little bit late um yeah. you know i guess my kind of you know my last question for you is diving into um oh god i know i lost my train of thought christian i'm passing it off to you i lost my train of thought you know i'm actually um, all the time
1: it, it happens to me all the time too so none of us should feel bad um i actually that's what editing well, for yeah you. exactly um this isn't a live stream. No, it's not. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious, you know, this is just pulling it back to kind of your career in a sense, you know, you went from a lot of things that really didn't have a lot to do with music to TuneCore. And I, I'm just curious, you know, what brought you to TuneCore?
2: Sure. Um, well, it. I mean, there's there's the roundabout answers, um, but the, the shorter way to get to that is that um, from where I sat I was mostly in the CPGs, but consumer product goods. So staples, mostly in office supplies. Um, so where would be the correlation? Going into the podcast studio. So in doing that, I also inked a partnership deal with iHeartMedia. So that kind of like started me on this journey of like understanding, not from a musician standpoint, but from a podcaster standpoint, um, which are very similar in nature, that they're small businesses seeking to be able to produce revenue, you know, that, that whole thing. So it was a pretty easy jump um, when I was told that TuneCore was looking for a VP of BizDev, that the independent artist community was very similar to the podcasting community, although obviously a little bit more mature, a lot more mature. Um, And this idea that like, yeah, at Staples, I had been basically servicing a small business segment, you know, in the retail footprint. So there was a lot of commonalities to it. It made sense. Also, I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial um, side hustle. So, either working with people in the music industry or friends that are kind of serving in the peripheral of it. So, it just became one of those obvious things it was like, well, let's give it a shot. And then, jumping into TuneCore and like basically dealing with the hundreds of thousands of artists that they go through, it's like you really start to get an understanding, not of like necessarily just one or two customer types, but of like the music industry as a whole and independent music. Um, and there's so many commonalities between the small business community and the independent music community. Um, I think we're starting to see there's a little bit more acceptance on the artist side of like making that jump into the business world. Um, so I think that's kind of like, it was more happenstance, you know, just a, a measure of like who I was connected to and who I was talking to at that particular time. But it was a great marriage. I'm happy I'm in it now. I, I don't want to go.
1: It's that's That's really <laughs> cool. And, you know, I think the reason why I bring it up is there are a lot of I guess, misconceptions about the kind of people that work within the music industry. There's a lot of misconceptions about the music industry in general, Mm -hmm. but um, what a lot of people don't, I don't think consider is that like the music industry is more than just Drake and Taylor Swift and like the superstars. Um, It's it's people from all kinds of backgrounds and uh, work experiences that end up, I I think for a lot of people just kind of fall into it, um, kind of like what you were saying. And um, I, I think, in saying that, it is going to help somebody who might be listening to this, who's kind of on the edge of figuring out if they want to make the jump or not. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of. I would
2: I would strongly say like the music industry is is a special one in that it's a little bit. I mean, as an artist, it's it can be tumultuous, right? Everyone's got kind of like agendas and whatnot. You got to be careful. Um, I've never been a musician myself, so I've been saved from that world for the most part on the music business side it's pretty straightforward and there's a a sense of a a small community camaraderie within our industry where like I've been at industry events where I've seen you know the heads or not the heads but like leaders within TuneCore, DistroKid, CD Baby um, like all in a group together just having conversations about music in the industry like we're a different type of industry. And so like from the business perspective, there are a lot of bright minds that that, have this thought that you have to be like a music aficionado or some type of artist in order to be in the music business. Um, but we, if we get more really good business people to jump into the music industry, it's going to lift the entire industry up. So I would say, yeah, if there's anyone on the edge that you should definitely take a look at a lot of the startups because startup music tech startups love getting fresh talent, especially from outside the space, help them to think a little bit differently. So, you know, look into the different options that are out there.
0: I love that. Yeah. And I've said that too, because like I got my start in concerts and I've said that to people, I'm like, if you want to get into music or if you just want to get into business, throw a concert, you'll learn everything you need to know in one concert and worst comes to worst. You fail. Guess what? And your reputation will be ruined. You'll never be able to run a venue again, but just pull out. Just <laughs> most venues do not require deposits or anything. If you're failing, just bounce. Be like, okay, you know what? I screwed up. I can't host the show. Like, I mean, what? the other thing
2: I've I've been I've, yeah. in my early days back in uh, high school, my friend put on some events, and there were some times where he'd throw he'd take out the whole place, and he thought he was getting a hell of a deal because he grabbed a Tuesday night, um, but it was a big <laughs> venue, and like nobody was showing up, he was begging people to come in the door, like it just means that it was more expensive the next time he looked to ask for it, and he you know you just got to keep trying. One of the things about failure is it yeah. gives you the best types of learning experience that you can get. Um, and sometimes you just have to go through it to really know what it's like.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So with that coming up on now, you know, getting to the end of our podcast, I'm going to steal the last question from you, Christian, which is what is one piece of advice that you would give to an artist listening to this podcast that is just starting out is independent. What's one piece of advice that you would give to them that, you know, could help them grow their career, you know? strive another day as an artist? So two part answer.
2: One, find, keep testing things. Like a scientist, keep testing different hypotheses to see what works. Um, The gentleman you had on your show the other day, Rocco? Yeah. Yeah, like that's a great example where if you just put in the work to try to figure out what works, eventually something will click. So Mm -hmm. that's one piece. The other piece is you have to expect that in all that time you're doing your R&D, you need to continue plugging along in the mundane humdrum of you know fan engagement and creating new content, whether that's new music or new videos or new copy. But like that's that's your actual day-to-day business is your content producer in whatever capacity that you're putting it out. So you need to have two hats on, one that's excitedly looking for what's going to click and what's going to work but knowing that's not your whole job. Your whole job isn't to pop. Your whole job is to try to find what might help you pop, but at the same time, continue plugging away at your business. If you go from 10 fans on Monday to 12 fans on Tuesday to 20 fans on Friday, that's progress. Don't look at that as like, oh, I only got eight. Like if you go from 10 fans to 20 fans, a lot of people are like, well, what the hell is 10 fans? But if you look at it as I just doubled my fan base Perspective is everything. So those small wins over time, you have to give yourself that, that sense of accomplishment that it's supposed to be a long haul. It's supposed to be, it. that's why they call it a grind. If it was easy to blow up, then everyone would be doing it. So stay focused on your day to day, make sure you have a good plan of attack, a good strategy to deploy. And you can do that at any level of, as an artist. Sometimes you can afford to bring in bigger talent or help to ha- do it. Otherwise you can just have your own creative vision. Focus on that for your day-to-day and constantly be looking like a scientist that R&D perspective for what makes you kind of pop or what gives you that edge. And whether that might be a social media platform or a way that you do content or how you perform at shows, there's gonna be something. And that's gonna be part of your, your journey is finding out what makes you special. But don't forget about your real job, which is you're a content producer and you need to keep up with your engagement and your delivery.
1: Awesome, awesome. I love that. I I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Nick, I am going to let you wrap us up because we are at the
0: time. Well, with that, thank you, Jake, for having on the podcast. Um, You know, I think this will be a a great title of of many things for this podcast. We dived into a bunch of stuff. um, And I, you know, I think it was a great perspective from so many different angles. Um, So yes, thank you for having on the podcast. And with that, Anybody listening, if you made it this long, you will get a one-time-only high-five from Christian. But more importantly than that, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. And if you do give us a five-star rating, because I haven't given out these prizes in a little bit, if you do give us a five-star rating, this week Christian will mail you an exact replica of the eyeglasses he's wearing Um, tonight. So make sure, give us a five-star rating, and maybe you'll get an exact replica. So with that, we will see you next week. And thank you for listening.